This afternoon, uh, we're still talking about forgiving, forgiving and forgiveness and being a forgiver as God is. Coming from Isaiah, the 44th chapter, and it was the 22nd verse, where it says, I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions and as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me, for I have redeemed you. Okay, so we see there forgiveness by God. Forgetting our sins and trespasses as we say in our prayer, forgive us of our debts so we forgive our debtors. That's something he did freely. Not that we uh, required it or asked it or deserved it or whatever, but we do pray that in our prayer. That's part of the disciples' prayer, praying forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. Give us our transgression as we forgive those that transgress against us. But that's learned as the disciples' prayer when God becomes your father. But we see here God freely forgiving Israel, though they had sinned against him. Just like us, we have sinned against him. We deserve death and everything. So we've sinned against him. And we want to, talking on the importance of forgiveness. And how is it? How important is it to forgive others? Just how important it is to forgive others. Could our eternal salvation depend upon it? It's very important. It's not a prerequisite to our salvation. It's one of the characteristics of our salvation of being a child of God. Because forgiveness of being justified that is a different aspect here so forgiveness is, doesn't necess, necessitate salvation forgiveness doesn't necessitate salvation forgiveness is one of the chief characteristics we must have if we are to become literal children of God in his kingdom If we are, that's a characteristic that's developed but it has to come through the Spirit. It's a a characteristic that God's Spirit, in that circumcision, He works on His children because there are those in the world, there's a natural forgiveness, but it takes the Spirit of God to make you able to forgive even your enemies. And I tell you, forgiving is not necessarily forgetting. We're not built that way. Even though some things can help us to forget when we in the Lord. Uh, God has positions of teaching and authority prepared for us in the kingdom. According to John 14 and 2, he says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places, are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you, because I go, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Those places are bows that God has for us. It's designed for each and every one of us, but it's designed specifically for you. Yours, nobody can hold the place that God has for you. Revelations 5 and 10 says, You have made them to be a kingdom of priests, a royal subjects, and priests to our God, and they will reign on earth. We're talking about the church, God's people ruling and reigning in the kingdom, and I told you, of necessity, that's a, the Davidic kingdom, that's the kingdom of God, 
here on earth. That's the kingdom that we pray that thy kingdom come. When the Jehovah Witness is talking about the kingdom, this is the kingdom that's being talked about. Not We don't want to conflate the rest of their doctrine of on the kingdom or how the kingdom works. But the kingdom is what we all look forward to. That's what Jesus Christ came preaching. So is John the Baptist. Baptist, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Because these positions come with great power, we must have a heart ready and willing to forgive and forget mistakes. Forgive and forget mistakes. You don't hold that against a person. You don't necessarily have that embedded in you that you must be able to work with others that are far less superior, what we say they're inferior to you or may not have developed as you have. You must be a patient person. That those coming out of the great tribulation will make many mistakes. Just if we've, we have in coming out of the world. And I tell you, we all will go through tribulation. But coming out of the tribulation, and I tell you, when he restore all things, the restoration of the king, this is part of what he's doing with the church. The church is a different group of individuals. Those are the first fruits those that are ruling and reigning with him in the millennial reign of Christ. That's why we look at all the blessings and things that are promised in the millennial reign. And as we receive more light in everything and understand better what God is doing, we can preach and teach to others better and we have a relief of some of the darkness that we were in. We could be more forgiving and I was talking about that last time about how we become more forgiving and more forgiving. Because that's the most God-like characteristic that you can have is because that's something that you can do is freely forgive. And God develops that in you. We need to have a mature nature willing to encourage and forgive us. Sometimes others or sometimes people are talking to you, your children or different things. You encourage them and you forgive them not necessarily bringing up their faults or failures or holding those against them, we have to be bigger than they are. We have to be able to exhort and lift one another up and comfort others. There have been times in my life that I did something or said something I wish in my heart I can take back. I was talking to one of my sons today about things that happened when they were growing up and he was saying, well, Daddy, uh, you know, about some of those things. He said, well, that wasn't the point. Uh, that wasn't bad. And this and a lot of things I say, well, I, I wish I could do it differently. And he was talking about some of the children, one of the young ladies that he grew up with, some of the children that grew up with, they all, they say, well, I remember, uh, he say, how's your daddy? How's Mr. Emerson doing? He said, because he used to whip y'all, man, and he used to do this. He say, she, she say, you know, and they was talking about that, and they said, well, see, he was different from the rest of us or whatever. He said, because I had a mama, a lot of them had mamas and things, but, you know, in some neighborhoods, especially where I grew up, both parents wasn't in the home. They were saying that they wished they had a father. A lot of them wished they had a father that would discipline or whatever. So the discipline is forgotten. My son was saying, what you talking about this and that, that? And she was saying about 
discipline and chastity, and she says she wished she'd have had that now, and he's done forgotten that. So it's like with us, the chastening and the punishment and discipline that God puts us through, we'll forget that in times to come because it's all necessary in building our character and what we do. So we shouldn't be afraid to chasten our children. We don't spare the rod of some of the things that happen with friends and people that you rebuke. I have to say things too. If they are God-like, and that's why we have to be forgiven because you forget. You know, you know you're not, not necessarily forget, but it's not no longer brought up conflicts and things that happen against you, you move on and forget about that. The, we use forget like God saying forget. Not that God could forget anything because he's God. In other words, he's not going to bring it up and throw it up in your face or whatever. He's not going to say, you remember you did this or you remember you did that. The chastening has been there. The punishment has been there. But it's a lot of people that they will wait to a time is right and bring up what you did in the past, that means they're still holding that against you. They hadn't forgotten it. They hadn't forgave you of that. If they've forgiven you of that, they would no longer bring it up. They wouldn't use that as part of a thing of judgment or something against you. They wait and prolong punishments a length of time that they have to chastise you of what you did, that they're not like God that blot out transgressions and never remember them anymore. But there it was for all the world to see that I've done this, I've done that, but all of that's in our past, and now my children are the better for it, and they're wishing it would have happened to them. They don't have those memories or whatever. In other words, my children don't those memories had made them better, so they don't have that to hold against me, but there are people that are still holding things against their parents. It's the people that are dead and long gone, but they're still holding them prisoners because, well, if my parents hadn't did this, if this person hadn't did me that, they always fought in someone else in the past. So they become a prisoner of that individual, and that individual is dead and gone. So they are in bondage. Jesus Christ hadn't freed them from bondage. Because sometimes we can't keep beating up ourselves. Sometimes we have to do, as Paul said, forgetting those things that are behind. Press on toward the mark. We're going to make a many a mistake. We're going to, do, we're going to fall a many a time. But we, we apologize if we do anybody wrong. And we're sorry if we and I say, well, I'm sorry I hurt you. I'm sorry if this happened. And we move on. That's being human, but it's also being godlike. Uh, but in this world, it is easy to see a major cause of conflict is unwillingness to extend forgiveness to someone else. That's the reason we have conflict in political parties, in churches, within nations, the Bosnia against the Ukraine. Russians against Ukrainians, the Arabs against the Jews, uh, this nationality against that nationality, black against white, it's like the Hatfields and the McCoys or something. The North against the South, uh, segregationists against others, uh, 
management against labor. Uh, some side is not willing to forgive and go on and put things in the past. And you have a movement now that's dividing the nation saying, well, we're going to make America great again. You have these people that say, well, let's forget about that old way. The new way is to move to move forward together. That's in secular thinking. But in religious thinking, it's different. Because there's reconciliation and always forgiveness and reconciliation doesn't always come. We need to be reconciled to one another. But that reconciliation sometimes doesn't come. But we still must be willing to forgive. We have to forgive and go on. And there are people in homes, in the home and in the family, these problems arise that that we don't forgive and go on. And sometimes it causes divorces. It causes family members falling out with one another. And that's what happened with gangs and with different things. People holding grudge or people taking vengeance and not forgiving one another. Uh, Temperance flare, there's a lack of forbearance. To be forgiving, you have to be able to forbear. Uh, Long suffering. Genesis 20, 17 through 18 says, So Abraham prayed unto God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants, and they bare children. For the Lord had fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Well, that story that we know of there happened twice with Abraham. It happened with Isaac. And God had punished the people of Abimelech and Abimelech's household to the women wasn't producing anymore. And God is... God had closed up the wounds that Abraham prayed for. Uh, But before that, how long did God forbear with the converted Abraham? After Abraham was called out of Chaldea by God, and we know that he was a moon worshiper. But how long did God put up with Abraham? Because, you know... Peter had a problem with forgiving. He said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother? And sometimes we we get tired of putting up with people, uh, tired of waiting for people, but sometimes we have to keep forgiving over and over to that individual learning lesson, to that child or to that parent or that spouse or the employee, employee or whoever it is. The, different, the situation is different. But we're talking about Abraham now, the father of the faithful. That This just goes to show you all of us make these mistakes. Verse 17, what we're reading here takes place after all was cleared up between him and Abimelech. And how long did it take them to notice that, like I said, all of the women were being buried? How long was it was that they realized, hey, something is wrong? You know, that's why some, sometimes in your life, you make a correlation to something's happened to me. It seems as though I'm a curse. It seems like God's not with me. Something's going on wrong. Now, I don't know how long until 
you know, if the ch- women not having children over a few months period and nobody in the city is getting pregnant or whatever, there's no deaths or something not going on, well, hey, this is not normal. Well, the things in the course of your life, just like with Job, his life had radically changed. And so God did not strike them down for his life. Abraham was the cause of the problem. Right? Because he lied to say Sarah was his wife, so he caused Abimelech in them this problem. But God didn't strike Abraham down, did he? He gave Abraham a chance to repent and to confess both to God and to Abimelech what the truth was, and but he never did. Some of us do things, and that's why it says confession is good. It we don't know how long Sarah was in the household of Abimelech, like I was saying. So, how many times Abraham went to bed or whatever and said, you know, I didn't lie to this guy. This, you know, now he, he's in, the lie didn't went on so long, he, you know, scared to come clean, I guess, or whatever. Uh, so, finally, God stepped in, giving Abimelech a dream that told him he was keeping his prophet's wife and he had better give her back. You know, I mean, Abimelech had this dream. That made Abraham come forward. It's sort of like David. David had killed Uriah. Time had passed by. It was over a year to when Nathan, well, it must not have been over a year, but Nathan came to David after a period of time and told him about David's transgression with Bathsheba. That's when he penned Psalms 31, uh, 32, and Psalms 51. But God had to intervene to bring him to repentance. Sometimes God has to intervene to bring us to forgiveness. It's like the prodigal son. You remember God had to let it run its course with him until he came to himself in a hog pen. And that he said, I should go ahead and ask my father for forgiveness. See, sometimes we go a while. God allows us to go a while. God has to chasten us or discipline us in certain ways to bring us to him, to bring us to the knowledge, you know, that's why God's goodness is to bring the God enduring through this long suffering is to bring us to repentance. A lot of things happen. Uh, Notice God's forbearing. Not only did he do this over a long time, but he kept Abimelech from defiling Sarah. God's always working in our lives. So during that time, he didn't allow Sarah to sleep with Abimelech. He didn't allow Abimelech to sleep with Sarah. So God keeps us and keeps his word and keeps all things. That's why we have so much and we owe God so much. But he also kept Abimelech from killing Abraham for lying to him. See, because just like you remember when Laban found out that Jacob had lied to him, and he was going to overtake Jacob, but God had spoke to Laban in a dream and told him that he better not do Jacob anything. God protects us. God protects and keeps his people. We don't know how many times God has kept and protected us. That's why the more, the more we learn and get to know and understand God, the more we show uh, uh, see how much he's forgiven us and that he's one and true God and that we owe him everything. God worked everything out. It could have gone 
in an awful situation that could have been bad because just like Joseph was thinking how to put Mary away privately, but God came to him and said, well, no, you know, that, that which Mary is, you know, is of the Holy Ghost or whatever. But he didn't let anything intervene to stop this divorce or something because bad things could have happened to Mary if Joseph were to put her away or say she was caught in fornication. So Joseph was trying to think of a way out of the situation or whatever. You know, Isaac might not have been born if that would have happened if if, if he would have killed Abraham or some, if he would have slept with Sarah, they could have said, well, it's Abimelech's child or whatever. If Joseph would have slept with Mary, they could have said, well, she's not a virgin or whatever. Joseph knew it wasn't his child, so he knew and Mary knew that this was of the Holy Ghost because it fulfills scriptures. See, so as we study God's word, that's why we have to pray and know God's word before we can pray to him really good, we have to know his word. That results in a better prayer. That's why the Holy Ghost has to make intercession with our prayers in our prayer life to teach us how to pray. God also shows his forbearance with Sarah. He called her the mother of the faithful, but, you know, Sarah was in on the lie. Sarah had did that once before. She could have said, no, Abraham, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to lie and say I'm your wife. I mean, I'm, I'm your sister. So she was complicit in it, just like with Adam and Eve. They both were complicit in it. So yet God called her in the book of Hebrews. She was in the book of Hebrews in the Hall of Faith, one of the heroes in the Hall of Faith. Perhaps the most astounding fact is that this was the second time Abraham did this. You remember I told you he had did it with Pharaoh before. We sin over and over, and that's why when Peter said, how many times shall I forgive my brother? So just think how many times God had forgiven us. How many times do we sin? How many times that Jesus had to bear down on Peter? That's why we have to see that this is a characteristic of God for bearing with others' shortcomings and faults. Genesis 12 and 10 records the same thing happened with Pharaoh 15 or 20 years er earlier. So look like he'd have learned that a long time ago. But he <coughs> forbear with Abraham all of that time. He had given Abraham a couple of decades to repent of that type sin. That was one type sin that he said, well, no, God's going to find this out and I shouldn't do this a second time. But he repeated the sin. Remember the woman caught in adultery, Jesus told her not to repeat that sin. He says, go forth and sin no more, lest a worse thing happen unto you. We have to start walking in this learning curve to get where God wants us to go. He says, for the perfecting of saints, Paul said, lay aside every weight and sin that's besetting us for running. So we can't keep falling in the sin and grow with that. It takes longer to learn. So we, God says, laying aside doctrines and baptisms, let us go on to the perfecting of saints. We need to go on to become a mature and perfect people, walking in the Spirit and overcoming in the Spirit. Eventually, Abraham did repent, but there was a 15 or 20 year period in which God forbore with him in the problem to help him grow in his character. 
and I see over I don't know how many years God has put up with me. That's why I say after we start seeing just how bad we are and how many times or how long uh, what we have done and God has forgiven us, we surely should be forgiving of others. We surely should be able to forgive others, even our enemies. Especially our enemies. Because God's going to test us, these same things keep coming up until we become overcomers. Until we able to grow out of that and develop a mature character. Not weighted down by these sins. Because there will be other things that we need to overcome. And looking back on our lives before being called, we begin to realize all of the laws of God we have broken and that God had every right to take us out of this life, but He didn't. So as I see just how bad I was, as Paul said, I was the chiefest of sinners. And that was me. I was was a very wicked person. I, I just... I don't like myself. I see my. It's worse and worse. The more you see God's word and study God's word, the worse shape you see you were in. No, it's some people think that they wasn't that bad, but when you see you was that bad and that you that warm Jacob, you you'll serve God better. You'll be a better person for that. What He did do upon our repentance was forgive us while we were yet sinners, while we were yet in our sin. He died for us. We had been forgiven. And I ask we begin to grow in the church, sinning and forgiveness become less academic and more serious. Right now, you see how serious sin is. You can see that it's not a matter of forgiving and being forgiven and that God forgives, but it's a serious offense because this is why Jesus died, for the forgiveness of our sin. And yet and still, we continue in sin. And we, we have no more sacrifice to sin if we, we, we fail this thing. If we continue on and lose this and turn into the world, because we don't know when we'll be overtaken by these things. That's why Jesus told the woman caught in adultery, go forth and said no more. Don't say, well, I was caught in adultery once and he got me out and go back and commit adultery. You don't know that you'll get out of that other time. You see how bad this was, how much you were forgiven, you could have lost your life. With greater depth, we understand the sacrifice made and the price paid so that sin now produces greater sorrow in us because that's what hung him on the cross. That's why he was on the cross, for the forgiveness of our sins. That's just how bad our sins was. We couldn't bring them to God. Somebody had to make atonement for those sins. He was our perpetuation. So we shouldn't have anything to do with sin. We see how vicious, how vile, how revolting sin is, what sin causes and brings about. It should make us better people and not willing to sin because willful sin, presumptuous sin, there's no offering for those things. With that understanding comes greater appreciation for the forgiveness God extends to us. Jesus compares our sins to debts. Uh, I told you earlier, as we pray, forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. We have violated our obligation of being obedient unto him because we should present our bodies as living sacrifices unto him, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. 
So we should be without blemish or without spot. That's what the church is for. We should be washed in His Word. His Word cleanses us of all sin. It cleanses us. Our sins should be as white as snow. In other words, our body, our purification. This is our sanctification. We're sanctified by His Word. We have, violate, we have violated our obligation of being obedient to God and this exposes us to the penalty that results from that violation. What happened with David? When he did this violation, what did God tell me? He says, the sword will never leave your house, David. Now God had forgave his sin. Didn't he say, I put away thine sin? So he had put away the sin but it caused the child's life and the sword would never leave David's house. Now we're not going to suffer the death penalty. David didn't suffer the death penalty because the wages of sin is death. We have eternal life in Jesus Christ, but now those are sins that we're nailing him back to the cross. Each and every sin is another hammer in his hands on that cross. So we should flee sin. We should run from sin. We should stay away from that. To teach us the lesson of forgiveness, God bases how he forgives us by the forgiveness we extend to others. He said, as is in that prayer, Jasper Williams preached a sermon on that. And that's what messes us up, that as that's in that prayer. He said, he forgives us as we forgive others in the way that we forgive others. How quick are we to forgive others? Do we punish others? Or do we hold things against others? Do we withhold our affections from others? Do we? It's a length of time. Do we have to go through certain things? That's as we forgive others. So, uh, did he freely forgive us? He freely forgave us. That was not conditional. He freely forgave us. So we are obligated to freely forgive others. We should forgive others. Those who come before him unwilling to forgive others cannot expect God to show them the love and mercy that they desire. To those that are merciful, he's merciful to But if you're unmerciful, he's, you're not going to find mercy from him. I tell you, you don't want to face a cold, hard reality here. Now you may be saved, you may not be lost, but look, look at the chastisement and punishment you'll have to endure in this life. God will not show them the mercy and love that they will not extend to others. And that's why Babylonian and a lot of the kings, that's why some things happen so treacherous to other people because what a man sow, that he shall reap. That which you wish others to do unto you, won't you do that to someone else? Won't you live that way? If we forgive others when they injure us, our Father will forgive us. Won't it? Yes. And that's what we're looking for. We have to forgive even when it's not asked for. People say, well, it says if my brother son against if he asks to forgive him. Yeah, it does say if he asks, but that's under some different scriptures. That's under discipline. 
let's look at it when it's not under discipline. Let's look at it in the book of Mark, the 11th chapter, the 24th through the 26th verse, because it could block your prayer life. You remember I was telling you earlier about knowing the word of God in prayers. And in this chapter here, he was talking about the blessings that he was going to bring down in our life in the 44th chapter there about being blessed and he would rain water upon us. The third verse, for I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thine seed and my blessing upon thine offspring and they shall spring up as among the grass as well as by the water courses. All of that's conditional because God deals with you as you deal with others now. So, let's look at the book of Mark. If you want your prayers answered, you do want your prayers answered. He says, for this reason, I'm telling you, whatever things you ask for in prayer, that is, in accordance with God's will, that's why you should know God's word and the will of God is that asking amiss, not getting your prayers answered, asking and to consume it up on your own lust. Jesus said, if you need anything, ask the Father in my name, he'll do that. But listen at what it says here, though. Believe with confident trust that you have that you have received them and they will be given unto you. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. Now, what does that say? If you have anything against anyone, let them come ask you and clear. No, it says when you stay in praying before me, asking for something, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. In other words, drop the issue. Let it go. So that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions and wrongdoings against him. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your transgressions. So you're not keeping the commandments. You're not keeping his word. You've transgressed him, so your prayer is blocked. That's all because you have a stubborn heart, a hard, unforgiving heart. Because it's also in there, if you go to the altar, the offer a gift unto the if you go to offer a sacrifice, and you you have art against your brother, it says. Leave your gift at the altar and go back and get right with your brother. So how could you be fighting and struggling? How could Cain offer up a sacrifice to Abel and he's wanting to kill him the very next day? I didn't accept your sacrifice, Cain, because sin is lying at the door. Your heart's not right about your brother. You come in the church and you treat God's children Worse than you treat your enemies out there in the street, and you should be praying for those enemies out in the street. Those people out there that made you mad or upset you or did you things, you should be praying for them. That's how I am. That's the God I am. But now, Cain, you come in here wanting to kill Abel, and you think, I'm going to accept your sacrifice? Sin lies at the door. You desire, in other words, your, its desire shall be unto you. You shouldn't let sin reign over you or rule over you. You have to cast those things out. 
that's un, that's what unforgiving does. That's what an unforgiving heart, because that's a vengeful heart, one that says, "I'm not forgiving you. I don't I don't forgive you for saying that. I don't forgive you for doing this. I, I'm not going to forgive you in this situation." You mean to tell me that somebody did you so bad you can't forgive them, but they hung Jesus Christ on a cross, put nails in his hand, and hung him there to die? He had did anyone. Anything, and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So what tell me did they do to you that was worse than that, that you can't forgive them? You tell me that. How are we to conduct ourselves in forgiving others? We must forgive even if the offender does not ask to be forgiven. Father, forgive them, but they don't know what they're doing. You remit someone else's sins back to them. In other words, whatever they've done to me, I forgive you for your trespasses again. Don't you forgive your children for the things they say and do to you, and don't you pray for them? Well, don't be partial in that. You must do that for other people's children. You must do that for your neighbors, your employers, everyone. No matter what people do to you, as the prophet Samuel said, as the prophet Elijah said, he says, but I will not cease to pray to God for you. Even though God told Jeremiah, pray not for these people. But you should understand what prayer to pray. And that's why I say we must know the word of God. We can't be praying a prayer for someone's salvation. And God says they won't be saved. Sometimes we pray and ask for things that God said he won't do for us. You remember he kept, at, Moses kept asking to go into the promised land? God had to tell him, I, we've talked about this a couple of times, Moses. Don't ask me that anymore. You can look, but you're not going in. You can stand here and see it, but you're not. So we can't try to overturn what God had said. It has to be according to his will. That's why we need to come out of some of these churches or places that teach us to pray money coming in prosperity and that you your own God and you can, can create a, your creation and all these things. No, we have to pray according to his will. We couldn't pray for Judas Iscariot's salvation because Jesus had says, woe be unto him. How are we going to reverse a woe of God? Balaam do that. Balaam told Balak, he says, now, I'm going to go over here and talk with God, not what he tells me to say I have to say, because I can't say any more that God tells me to say. Say so we, we, we want to say words that God hadn't put in our mouths to say. We want to bless people God hadn't blessed, and Balaam said who God had blessed, he had blessed, who he cursed, he cursed. Jesus knew about the Pharisees. You didn't see him trying to convert the Pharisees, did he? He told them, you're children of, your, of the devil. John the Baptist said, you vipers and serpents. He knew what they was. You can't change a goat into a sheep. Now, you can pray to God about certain things, but you need to learn how to pray to God what to pray for. We should treat the one who is injured or offended us with kindness, not harboring any grudge or speaking of that individual condemningly. Speak not evil of any man. And that's why in the church, people try to go get you to go along with them against another person, or against other nations, or against 
another sect of people. They want you to call people different names or whatever. I was reading an article the other day about Jesus didn't deal with homosexuality when he was here or whatever. But we have people now calling people perverts and all kinds of names and using the Q word and all these different names. Well, not you done offended. He who offended not in word and deed is an upright and perfect man. We have no reason to offend people in calling them names. That's ad hominem arguments that we're saying, oh, that's because you fat did. Because you this, you want, it's like the people resorted to ad hominem arguments with Jesus Christ. They said, well, we weren't born of fornication. Now you're saying the man's mother was a fornicator. You're saying that the Virgin Mary that brought our Savior into the world was a fornicator that brought him into fornication. It says, blasphemy against me will be forgiven but blaspheming against the Holy Ghost won't be forgiven. We have to learn what we're doing. We have to conform to his, his image, and nothing is more like Christ than be forgiven. Now he says, things said against the Son of Man, you, you can be forgiven, but not blaspheming of the Holy Ghost. That's the word of truth. That's the spirit of truth. We should always be ready to do him good if the opportunity arises. This is a very tall order that Jesus gives us to feed them or feed your enemy when he's hungry or give him water when he's thirsty. Pray for those that despitefully misuse you and mistreat you. That's a prayer. You need the Spirit to be able to do that. Why act this way when it goes so strongly against human nature? Because that's the problem. Human nature is the problem. We're human. And that's what the guy said on Matrix, what Mr. Smith said. He says human. You know, that's a defect, being human. You know, that's being defective. We're not no longer upright. Humans are not upright. They need to be born again. They have a problem. They have a heart problem. They have to be born again. They need it. If you stay the way you are, human, you will die. You must be born again, born of the Spirit. That's the only way you will have eternal life. Without that, you will have to face the consequences of sin. And what are the wages of sin? Death. You can't avoid it. I, I wish somebody would give me what I deserve. I don't. I don't. I don't want what I deserve. I want grace. I want God's mercy. Why act this way? Human nature, I tell you. Well, first, it produces peace. Forgiveness produces peace. To be at peace with, you know, in forgiveness. And second, it sets the example for the offending individual and for everyone else of what God considers right and proper. So, after you apologize, I ask you, after you ask for forgiveness of somebody, I ask you not holding grudges or whatever, or you see a person with what they are, you're not looking in the past, you're not looking to what who offended you, it doesn't bring bitterness. You can heal. That's healing and forgiveness. You're not dragging that dead guy along with you. Your parent that 
mistreated you years ago that you say caused you to be psychologically unsound. Some psychiatrist said that they messed you up psychologically. You, you, you know, uh, you're not blaming somebody else for your misgivings and shortcomings. You're standing up and says, the Lord made me this way. Who were born blind? What he did? Well, if his parents had sinned, okay, now you're trying to blame it on the parents. But say, who had sinned, him or his parents? Well, if he was born blind, it would be pretty bad for him to be in sin before he was born, right? So who sinned, is him or his parents? So he couldn't have sinned the reason he was born blind. That, that was kind of a, what kind of question is that? Does forgiveness of a person fighting a recurring problem mean that we should place complete trust in him in the area of his problem? Uh, no. With many problems like poor money man and handling, you know, gambling addictions, uh, problem with drugs, uh, or just mismanagement of money, yeah. gossiping, lying, stealing, sexual sins, to name a few, we need to see a track record of overcoming before considering him trustworthy. But we still can be understanding and forgiving and encouraging, right? We wouldn't trust him with our rent money. But we will forgive the things. But you wouldn't put yourself in a position that you would have to forgive him for spending your rent money because you wouldn't give it to him. You know, if somebody had messed up your phone, well, I remember, you know, that's why I say we can't forget what has happened. You've messed it up, and I don't think you've came to the place where you know how to take care of it or whatever. I'm not going to let you use my phone. Well, I forgave you the other time, and I, I, that was my obligation. I did forgive you. But I'm, I'm capable of knowing that there may be a recurring, recurring problem. You handle things that don't know how to handle things, and you will mess it up again and don't have to forgive you again because if you sin against me seven times seven, I have to forgive you. But I'm not going to put myself in a position where you didn't mess me up and I have, I'm the fool then. Yes. See, we have to be aware of something. If a guy go with your wife or whatever, you, that, you could forgive that. But you ain't going to trust him and your wife together no more, I don't think. You might not trust <laughs> now I didn't forgive you, but that doesn't mean I'm gonna put myself where I trusted you. But we still must encourage it, as Paul was talking about the man that was going with his father's wife or whatever to restore him to fellowship and everything. He may not do it again or whatever, right? So we have to forgive. We have to accept that person that didn't stop that behavior. We have a, a, what we ended on last time with the parable of the two debtors, I think. Luke chapter 7, 36 to 50. And the setting of the parable of the two debtors is in the house of Simon and the Pharisees who had invited Jesus to eat. Uh, to sh- about the woman that had washed Jesus' feet. And she was notoriously wicked and showed. To show respect for Jesus, a woman stops in, uninvited, but Simon calls her a sinner, one who is notoriously wicked, a prostitute. That's Luke 7, chapter 36 to the 39th verse. Now, these three real people are reflected in three fictitious 
characters of Jesus' parable, verses 41 through 42. A creditor, Jesus says, Look, Simon, which one of these would be uh, inclined to be forgiven more? He says, A debtor who owes 50 denario and another who owes 50. The forgiving creditor represents Jesus Christ. The professing righteous man owing 50 denaria is represents Simon. The person in debt for 50 denaria, I got this all backwards. In other words, the woman sees her sin as I say I see my sin, and I think I owe a debt that I can't repay. Jesus died for my sins, and I think my life was so bad that I can't do enough. The reciprocity for what he's done for me, I'll never stop trying to pay him back, even though I can't pay it. It's like the man, the king, says, forget that debt, you know, and had forgiven that debt. Not that we paying Jesus back, it's just that we have faith in him, and that faith has works. That works cause us to see many other things or whatever. It gives us a, a forgiving mentality or attitude. It gives us works. Faith has works. My faith is in this Savior that had saved me. Simon, representative of a lot of Christians and a lot of people that ain't so bad. They think that they're better than the next guy. they like the, the Pharisees. Don't touch this woman. Don't let this woman come in. They don't think that they're that bad. Uh, the one that the Pharisee that was praying, I'm not like this publican. I fast twice a week. I pay my tithes and offering. He don't see himself that bad. So he's not justified before the Lord because he really didn't ask the Lord for anything. He thought that he was maybe on a level that he's like the Laodicean, Revelation 3.17. He had everything. He had no need of nothing. The people in this life, and that's how the nation is, a lot of the Christians in the nation. They are so wealthy, they're so prosperous, that they're in the churches and everything, and they look down on everyone else because they don't know that they're poor, wretched, and naked because they're spiritually impoverished. They're not truly forgiven. They don't have love. Jesus, as a matter of fact, is knocking at their heart's door because they don't have a heart of flesh. He hadn't circumcised their heart. They have a form of religion. But they deny the power of the spirit that comes into our religion. The spirit has to give you life. The spirit quickens at what makes you alive. And the spirit's not working in the lay of the sea. He said, I wish you were hot or cold. They know the word. They know all the processes to go through. But the spirit is not functioning. They're not led by the spirit. The one here, so... She works toward it, whereas a lot of people think, well, I'm all right. I don't have to go all the time. I don't have to do all these things. The last one that we're looking at, because uh, I'm running out of time, Luke 15, well, I'm saying this is the last one. Luke 15, chapter 14 through the 19 verse, about the wasteful son, the prodigal son. Did I go over that one last time or whatever when he came to himself and realized that he had became and won't and he was perishing. It says, uh, when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants in my father have 
and I perish with hunger, I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before thee I am no longer worthy to be called thine son. Make me as one of thine hind servants. Well, this parable of the prodigal son unveils a clear progression from awareness of pain arising from want and recognition of sin, then on to sorrow for what he had become. Repentance is granted to him because God had worked through a chastening process to awaken him, bring him to awareness of this this pain. He was about, it didn't say he ate him, but he was about to eat the husk the, the, that the swine was eating. He was about to eat these things along with the swine. So the order comes in with him. Repentance, forgiveness, and acceptance were the fruit. As Jesus Christ said in this 42nd chapter here, 44th chapter, I'm sorry. He says, Thus says the Lord thy God that made thee and formed thee from the womb, which helped thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, thou Jeshurun, whom I've chosen. For I will pour water upon him. In other words, He's going to give him a heart to believe. He's going to give him a spirit to believe. But the son recognizes this, and that's what I say about forgiving. You realize that you're a debt. You want to be saved. So you turn for yourself. And God goes on to say about the blessings that come afterward. When the spirit penetrates your whole heart that God takes out, gives you a new heart, Peter the people says, what must we do? He says, repent and be baptized. And you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Well, when this new heart, the washing with water comes, and it brings about a forgiveness for the remission. See, the water for the remission of sin, it's a removal of the sin. Because remember I told you forgiveness is not necessarily salvation. Because a lot of people be forgiven for things. But yet they return to the mire. A lot of people get out of jail and go back and commit the same crimes. There are a lot of people that then murdered more than two or three people. There are a lot of people that returns to stealing, returns to adultery. That's why Jesus Christ told the woman, sin no more. There has to be a removal, a remission of sin. And that's what the Word of God does. It washes us. That's why he says he was going to pour water onto them. So, I was going to go into Hebrews, the second chapter, the 17th verse, about him being merciful, and we having a merciful high priest that he quickens us. Therefore, it was essential that he be made like unto his brothers, that is, in every respect, so that he might experience and become a merciful and faithful high priest in things related to God, making atonement, that is, a propitiation for the people's sins, thereby wiping away the sins, satisfying divine justice, and providing a way of reconciliation between God and man. That's the reason I really didn't want to go in that, because reconciliation, he provided a way. After forgiveness, you can forgive someone and reconciliation may not have been occurred. You have to be reconciled unto that person. Jesus Christ died to reconcile us unto God, to bring us back unto God. There's a lot of people out there that say 
they believe Jesus died for their sins, right? But they're not in church. It didn't bring them back to God just because they believed that. They didn't continue in his word. They didn't walk it in the way. You have to be brought back to God. You have to be placed in a position back in a relationship with God. The Pharisees didn't have a relationship with God even though they were baptized. He says, who had warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Well, they hadn't completed the works, the things in order of the obedience of Jesus Christ. They didn't fulfill that obligation to be his disciple. A gracious and merciful judge must by definition be willing to be gracious and to be made gracious. For from the before the foundation of the world, God the Father and the Word, who would become Jesus Christ, painstakingly prepared and executed a perfect plan that allows for both the demands of the law and for the Father's holiness to be satisfied. But we have to follow that plan of God. That plan of God has a lot of necessary steps. We can't pull doctrine from over here and doctrine from over here and let it be on a standalone platform. All of these other things come into it. That's why Paul says, I hadn't failed to declare all of the gospel unto you. The whole whole word of God. You have to eat the whole roll of necessity. We can't take one chapter of the Bible or one scripture and build this house upon it. Will house fitly built, rightly joined together by the word of God. But it's the whole word of God. We have to be in God's whole word. I have to round this down. I don't have time to complete this portion of it. And I'm going to mark that so next time I'll start with this. But it may be a month or two or three months before I get back to this part. Uh, okay? Heavenly Father, as we come before you this